0: kids are hard. Amen? Amen. If you think otherwise, you're either in denial or your kids are aliens, (laughs) unlike the rest of our kids. They are just, they're hard. They're beautiful. They are wonderful. They are amazing and fulfilling, but they are hard. This morning, I got up early. I was going to go have some time on my porch so that I could pray and I could put some finishing touches on my message. You may notice as we go through this message, there are no finishing touches. (laughs) Because no matter when I wake up, no matter what time, my son has like a spidey sense, and he knows I'm awake. And so he comes down at 6.30, he's ready, I'm, I'm coming out there to be with you, Daddy. And I like just sat down, I've got my coffee and a Bible, and I'm ready, and I sit down and boom, and there he is. And I want to be that good dad that goes, oh, my son wants to come eat with me. But I'm thinking, son, it's Mother's Day. Go bug her. <laughs> I mean, no, no, go be loving to her. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's. But, but she's leaving to go do worship and stuff. And so he comes out and he sits down. And I'm trying to focus. And he has like 10,000 questions in the first five minutes that he's with me. And I'm like trying to focus and work on this. And I'm like, but I want to love my son. And it, kids are just hard. They interrupt your life. Anybody notice that? Today, I want to talk, okay, first, this is not a a Mother's Day sermon. There's a lot for moms. In fact, this message is going to be centered on two ladies. Uh, One of them is Lydia. She's in our text, and I'll tell you about her in a little while. Another one is a lady named Susanna. And and both of them are going to be throughout this whole message, And I'm using them because it is Mother's Day, because they help with this message, because Lydia happens to be the passage that we're on. And, all right, um, would you raise your hand if you're a youngest child? Okay, a few of you, youngest children. Um, I know of at least one, and I don't know if Matt is here. He's the youngest, Matt Dawson, of like seven. Uh, I mean, sometimes when you're talking youngest child, I mean, a lot of kids, well, Susanna is the youngest Not of seven or 10 or 15 or 20. She's the youngest of 25 kids. She knows what a big family is. And then when she gets married to her husband Samuel, they have 19 children. Wait, no, she has 19 children. He had very little to do with the actual birthing process. 19 children. Hey, they, she knows what it's like to have this big family in all of the chaos and trying to figure out how to raise these kids in the Lord. And so I'm, I'm going to talk about her throughout the message. Here's my question for us. One question today. And it's not just to moms. This is to any parent, grandparent, um, maybe you're here and you don't have kids yet, but you're going to. Maybe you're here and you never have kids, but you have influence over nieces or nephews. Or This is the one question. How do we raise our children in such a way that they will come to know Christ and be his disciples as they grow up? That's my question. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. All right, just a little bit of background. Heather last week mentioned that There was a Jerusalem council where they had to decide whether or not circumcision was going to be mandatory or not. And they make the decision you do not have to be circumcised if you are a Gentile. Just profess faith in Christ, but then they had a few things that they wanted them to do. Well, they wrote those things in a letter and gave them to Paul, and Paul took that letter back to Antioch. And that is the place where that conflict happens with Paul and Barnabas, and they end up splitting. Paul will take Silas with him, and they will head south from Antioch, and they will go visit churches that he has already established, he's already planted, and he's encouraging them. But then he swings back north, and he's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and he wants to go into Asia Minor, and God won't let him. And so Paul, I mean, being a good Jew, he skirts the line. He goes as far as he can, and he just goes right north of Asia Minor and just skirts that line until he gets up to Troas. Troas is right on the Aegean Sea, just north of Asia Minor. While he's there, God gives him a vision. That vision Paul gets is, go to Macedonia. All right? So far, there has been no Christianity extended into Europe, at least not officially. This vision... It's what brings it. Right, so Paul gets this vision, going to Macedonia, bring Christianity into Europe where it hasn't gone yet. So Paul gets on a ship, and he makes this journey, and, and, and the winds and everything are for them because it's a two-day journey. On the way back, it takes them five. Two days, he goes to, and he passes Samothrace, where they stop for a moment, and then end up on the coast, Neapolis. It's a port city, and then it's 10 miles inland to Philippi. Philippi is the first city where the gospel is going to come in Europe. He gets to Philippi and it says in the text here, we remained in this city some days. Hey, this is what Paul does. He goes from city to city and in the cities on the Sabbath he finds a synagogue. And he goes in where people are already ready to hear God's word. And so he'll preach or he'll teach, but then he'll take the Old Testament and he'll bring it to the gospel. So he starts with the Jews. Now, probably part of this remaining some days is he gets to Philippi and he's looking for a synagogue. There are none. Not only are there no Christians here, but there are very, very few either Jews or believers in Yahweh who are Gentiles, who've converted over to this Jewish faith. So few, you need 10 men to have a synagogue. There's no synagogue. In Philippi, hey, this is a place that is ripe for the gospel. Keep going. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer, not abnormal. That you'd have both synagogues and places of prayer near water where you could do any kind of cleansing rituals. So they're supposing maybe through their days in Philippi, oh, there were some people that prayed here, let's go check this out. And so they go out to this place where there is prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. No male believers are there. It's a very small group. There's just a group of women that come, and apparently on every Sabbath, they come out here and they pray. This is their place. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Now, in the text, in any kind of biblical texts, when you get this kind of like pointing out, one of these women was this person. It's important. Right, you don't get a whole lot of detail, either descriptive detail or pointing people out in Scripture unless they are significant. Right, here is, one, of the, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. That is a whole lot of information, very compact. All right, I'm going to break down what we know about this woman. A little bit of this is conjecture based on what we know about Rome. Right, but here is what we know about Lydia. All right, number one, she comes from Asia Minor. That's where Thyatira is at. The very place that God wouldn't let Paul go, that's where she comes from. That city is 300 miles away from Philippi. So she's a long ways away from home. While in Asia Minor, that particular city is known for this purple dye. People who merchant in purple dyes, it is for the rich. This is a very profitable but hard business to be in. What it looks like is she may have started in Thyatira and then moved her business to Philippi. And here it is thriving. And I can say that because at the end of the text... All four of the men that are there are going to go stay in her home along with her family and her servants and whatever's going on with the business. This is probably a very big home that might be the home that the Philippian church starts in. She is single. She very, very likely has three or more children. Roman law allowed a single woman with three or more children to make legal transactions. She has to be able to make legal transactions for this business. All right, so think about this lady. Probably a single mom of three or more children, a successful business owner, away from her home, doing it on her own. And she is a worshiper of God. Right, that term, worshiper, it's often in Acts translated as devout and typically describes a Gentile who has begun worshiping Yahweh. That's this woman. Ladies, she knows what it's like to have a chaotic house, to work, to have a whole bunch dependent on her, and yet to be a worshiper of God trying to make this whole thing work. I want to say this about Lydia as we dive into this text about her in particular. She is... A model. Can you hear the rain? Trey was definitely wrong. (laughs) Lydia is a model for a way to serve the Lord in all of the chaos and mess that is our lives. And I want to point out four things about her. Look back in your text. Number one, they come to this place of prayer and one of the women there, and it's on the Sabbath, this isn't random, um, one of the women there is Lydia. We describe all these things about her. Here's what I want to say about her. Number one, she prioritizes God in her life. She is down at this river praying. On the Sabbath. And I would argue this is her regular way of doing it. With all the things going on in her life. With her business. With the deal that's got to be done tomorrow. With the kids who have to do homework. All of the stuff going on in her life. On the Sabbath morning. She is there by the riverside praying. She has made a choice. For what will be a priority in her life. Right? And how many excuses are there that she could have? I mean, just think about it. I can think of my own, because they would fall into it, why I would not make this a priority. The things I would set above this. But it is a priority for her. Even if she is a single mom with multiple kids running a business on a Sabbath, she is going to be there for prayer. It is a priority. What are your priorities? as you think about your life, what are the things that are driving your life? How are you making your decisions? What are you choosing or, and listen to this, what are you not choosing but it's still controlling you? How are you just going along letting it happen? What is your priority? I want to talk for a moment about Susanna and her priorities. Uh, Susanna, um, she was born in the 1600s and she did have her 19 children, although many of them, as is part of the time, many of them didn't make it past infancy. But she would raise 10 of them. 10 children she would raise. Her husband was a pastor and her husband made trips a number of times. Um, he would have to go for conferences. Um, he went for a couple of other things that would keep him away from the home for extended periods of time. In one of these trips where he was gone for an extended period of time, he had a man named Mr. Ingram take over the church and do the preaching. And this particular man had one topic that apparently he loved. Debt. Debt. And it's all he preached about. Over and over and over again, every Sunday, he preached on debt. And apparently, he wasn't even that good. And so, her children were not learning, were not growing. So, she began on a Sunday afternoon, early evening, to do a Bible study and singing of Psalm time for her children, she began to take some of her husband's old sermons and she would read them to her kids so they could learn. Well, some people in the church found out she was doing it. And so they started coming to her house. And over time, she had 200 people coming to her house on Sunday afternoons to hear the word of God and to sing. And the church... They were losing all of these people on Sunday mornings. And this guy, Mr. Ingram, he wrote to Susan, Susanna's husband, Samuel, and told him what was happening and said, you've got to get her out. You've got to stop this. And so Samuel wrote back to his wife and said, yeah, you, you can't be doing this. Now, understand, unlike in some traditions, at this point, there were already people in this Tradition that he was in where there were women ministers. However, her husband said, You need to stop. You need to get out of the pulpit. You need to stop doing these things. And she said, No, I won't do that because my kids need to be taught. And until you get back here, I'm going to teach my kids. She had priorities. And no matter how busy things were. And by the way, my wife and I had a discussion the other day. I was just talking with her, and I, because in the home at one point, we had the dishwasher running, we had our kids in the bath, we had the dryer going. And I said to her, Could you imagine before we had all this technology? Like how much time to wash clothes, to make food from scratch, to, I mean, all of it. She was doing all of that. But her kids were going to know the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what. And so every afternoon she took that time and she taught. What are your priorities? Number two. Halfway through verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, I'm just going to stop right there. Number one, God opened her heart. Can I just tell you you're a sinner? If you're in this room, you're a sinner. I am a sinner. Our hearts are messed up. But God wants to open your heart for you to hear more than what your natural ears can hear. She heard his words, as did everybody there. But God opened her heart that she would be able to pay attention That she would be able to receive what was happening in a bigger, more profound way than just the words. Every single Sunday, my prayer up here when I preach is that God speaks and opens our hearts and minds to hear him. I don't make that prayer as just a rote kind of ritualistic thing. I mean it. I want God to open our hearts. However, you have to respond. God can open your heart and you could still make a bad decision. Think about Peter. Jesus said, Who do you say I am? Peter said, You are the Christ. And God, Peter, and I'm Jesus. I was not speaking in tongues, I was just confused. Jesus says, You did not get this on your own. God revealed it to you. And yet, not long after that, Peter is going to deny Jesus. Later on, the Holy Spirit will fall on Peter, and yet still, a couple of years after that, Peter will move away from the Gentiles, move away from what the gospel is, and have to be confronted by Paul. God has to open your heart, but you have to receive and respond, and that's what I want to say about Lydia. She is responsive to God opening her heart. Look how quick it is. She, God opens her heart to pay attention to what was said, and boom, she goes and gets baptized. There is no, like, well, I don't know about this. Is God really saying that to me? Like, if I do this, then it might end up making these things happen. I don't know about this. Maybe there is no time for her to justify where she already is. She just responds. In faith, she steps right into it and says, God, open my heart. I'm going to do it. Could you imagine if that was our responsiveness? that when you are sitting on a Sunday morning and, and somebody is up here and they're preaching on forgiveness or they're preaching on anger or they're preaching on lust, and instead of going, man, that was a good message and I'm going to think about that for a while and, man, that would be really hard and I don't know and I'm going to, I love this one, I'm going to go pray about that. <laughs> what if instead we just did it? Just Responded. I mean, I love this line. And after she was baptized, I mean, it's just response. All right, let me give you a visual of what I feel like, this is my life. Maybe you won't relate to this, but maybe you will. Here's my visual. This past week, we were at chapel with all three of our kids. And, and they got to go up front during one of the songs, because any, any of the, where you had kids in preschool, and kids in the elementary school, the siblings, they got to go in the front and help lead a song. And it was a song on the fruits of the Spirit. And so you had, like, groups for each fruit of the Spirit. My three children were right in the center aisle for their fruit of the Spirit. Now, because it's a kid's chapel, I walk in, and I see everybody, and I just stand in the back like this. Because here's what I know is going to happen. They're gonna start doing all of these weird signs, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to dance. I don't. Want, I, I just want to like. I just want to stand back here and look cool, <laughs> which doesn't work very well with me. But I really don't want to do all these hands. So I'm like, and like all these people that know us, they know my wife is up front, and so they keep walking. Up going, Oh, are you looking for Aaron? She's up there. No, I'm not. Stay over there. Hey, are you looking for your wife? No, I'm not. Would you sit down? I'm good, right here. Well, they finally get up and they start doing their thing and my daughter's in the middle and she's just doing all the signs and everything and my three-year-old on one side of her is looking up at his sister. Everything she does, he's doing. He's not even thinking about it. He's just like. And my five-year-old, he's doing this. I don't know where he gets it from. It's just like this. And he looks at his sister. That is what I feel like I am. Here's Jesus, my daughter, and she's much more like Jesus than I am, so she's worthy of this. My daughter is Jesus, and he's doing this, and my son is going, okay, Jesus does this, I'm doing this. And I'm over here going, I don't know Jesus. That's kind of hard. I'm not sure if I should. No, I, I don't know that. If I do that, it's going to make me feel bad. Or it, I, I don't know if I, I, I've got all these excuses and all these reasons to do things. And Lydia was responsive to God opening her heart and revealing His will, and she just moved. Can we be more responsive to the work of God in our life? Number three. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, Lydia has ordered her life, all of it, around God. She gets baptized, and then she goes back to her household, and they all get baptized. Kids, servants, employees, whoever lives in this house. I wanna say this about Lydia's faith, and listen very, very carefully. Her faith is personal, but it is not private. It is very, very personal. I mean, this lady, she hears it, God opens her heart, she responds, and you're gonna see in a moment she's gonna open up her house, everything, but it is not private. There is no big division between over here is my religion and over here is my secular life. Over here are these beliefs that I have and I do those on like Sunday mornings and special events and, and over here is my real world. She has ordered her household to follow after God and when she hears the gospel and responds, she brings that right back into her household. How are you ordering your house? Is it just a free-for-all? Is it Sunday mornings, that's our religious time, and the rest of the day is just kinda doing whatever, the rest of the week? How are you ordering your home? I I love this little thing, Um, there's not a lot, well there there are, I'm I'm just gonna say one thing and then contradict what I was gonna say right away, I mean that's really quick. There aren't a whole lot of personal things that we have from Susanna. We've got a number of writings that she did, although she didn't do a whole bunch. We have a number of writings. But we do have some that are more like journal kind of things. And one of them, she was describing how she discipled her kids. How do you do that with 10 kids? I mean, just think about it. I'm trying to figure out how to disciple three of them. 10! And this is what she did. She Name by name, she said, I will take time on different days with every child. I will go be with this one, and I will spend time with this one, then I will spend time with this one, and then I will spend time with this one, and then I will spend time with this one. And do you know why? She believed very much in education, but that was not her primary thing. She wanted her kids to know Jesus. And she felt like, if I order my home around that I can move them toward knowing Jesus. How are you ordering your home day to day, week to week? What are you saying to your kids by your actions and your words? This is important and this is not. This over here is actually meaningful to me and to you and this over here, this is just secondary? This is just a ritual? This is just something we do if we have time. How are you ordering your home? And lastly, number four. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, a couple things. This kind of looks like she's almost saying, if you think that my faith is real, then please come stay in my home, as if that would be evidence of it. However, here's what you don't have in English that you have in Greek. When she says the if part, if you think my faith is real, in Greek, there's an assumed, and you do. In English, imagine if I said it this way, Now, if you think that my faith is real in Christ, and I know that you do, then come stay at my home. She's not trying to prove her faith is real. She's trying to use her real faith to help them out. She has to urge, and then that second at the end prevailed on us. Here are four Jewish, well, they're not all, um, three probably Jewish men, one Gentile man. There are four men here right? she's trying to get them to come stay in her home well they are traveling preachers who need places to stay and here's Lydia going all right i've got a business meeting tomorrow at 8 and a phone call i think at 10:30 i've got two kids who've got to get homework done before this point and one of them isn't feeling very well however these men are sharing the gospel of Christ they're bringing salvation I want to be a part of this. Will you come stay in my home? Please, let me do this for you. There is a generosity of spirit in Lydia that doesn't allow all the possible chaos of her life to stand in the way of being generous to the Lord. Come and stay with me with all the stuff going on in my home. what gets in your way of being generous? Whether it's with your home or with your time or with stuff that you own or with your finances or whatever it is, what gets in your way of generosity to the Lord? This woman prevailed on them no matter how Uh, it might have messed up her life, how inconvenient it might have been. It was, please come and stay with me. And they do. Four things about Lydia that I want you to just think about. Um, As you are worshiping for the rest of the service, as you are walking out today, four things that I think like, that she models for us in this text. Number one, priorities. What are the priorities in your life? Does your life actually reflect what you say your priorities are? Number two, a responsiveness to God. When God is opening the heart, are you stepping into that, or are you finding all of the reasons why you're not sure if you're going to? Number three, she orders her life. She orders her life that her family would know Christ. And number four, she is generous to the Lord, giving of herself of what she has for the Lord. I want to say two things to end about Susanna. Um, Number one, as I describe this woman that like, she's got all of these kids, and she's doing all these amazing things, and, and you may think, especially if you're a mom, you know, you may think like, There's no way I can do all that. I mean, that woman was like perfect. Now, I want to give you another story about Susanna because she is not perfect. 1688, King James II is overthrown by William, and William and Mary will end up reigning. Susanna really, really liked King James II, and her husband Samuel liked William. Remember, that's 1688. 1702, 14 years later, they are praying in their home and Samuel, her husband, prays for King William. Susanna refuses to say amen to the prayer because of it. They get into a fight. She thinks to herself, I probably should apologize. This would be expedient and get this over if I would, except I don't mean it, and that would be a sin. And so I shouldn't do that either. And he will walk out. These were not perfect people. They had their issues. But they also had their priorities, especially Susanna. Here's the other thing that I would say about Susanna. Her last name is Wesley. And two out of those 10 sons were Charles and John. This woman who raised all of these children, who went through, I mean, and I, I left out so much of her life because that would be a, multiple sermons in and of itself, but she went through a bunch of tragedy and hardships and struggles, but she prioritized God. She was responsive to God. She ordered her home around knowing Christ. And she was generous, even as she opened her home to 200 people to come learn. Because let me go back to my question. What can you do to ensure that your kids grow up to know Jesus and follow him? nothing you cannot ensure that you cannot guarantee that right now if you are a parent who has a child that has gone away from the faith stop taking all the blame for that you have to be able to release that you do not control your children all you can do is control you You want to know how to raise your kids? Honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. Do everything you can from this point. I don't care what it was in the past. From this point, do everything you can to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, in your home, and pray. Because that's all you can do. You cannot control your kids You cannot guarantee their salvation or their future discipleship with Jesus. All you can do is glorify the Lord with your life and do everything you can to make sure that your kids look at you and know what's important. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are following Christ. That is what we can do to bring our kids up in the Lord. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, as moms and dads, as grandparents, as those who at one point will get married and have their own kids, Lord, we are challenged daily to know how to raise our kids well. Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus to release parents who are under bondage, that they have totally screwed up their kids as if a wayward child is all their fault. Father, release them from that. And Lord, encourage and strengthen all of us to be followers of your son, that our children would know what we believe is most important that we would order our lives around him and that we would pray every day that they would make a decision for your son. We ask this in his name. Amen.